The first time I wrote to Mother Anandamai, in her reply she referred to me as my friend, which she only did in relation to monastics. Others she called father or mother. To his disciples who had left everything to follow him, Jesus too had said, I have called you friends. The relationship of father and mother is not by conscious choice. A friend, however, is ours by choice. Everyone was related to Mother Anandamai by nature, but only the monastics were hers by choice. Therefore, she called them friend. The most striking evidence of Mother's attitude towards secular life was her absolute refusal to enter the home of any married persons, including those of her married devotees. Once my friend Durga Prasad Sahai asked Ma to visit his home. To his surprise, she explained to him that she never entered the homes of married people. So he asked if she would come up onto the veranda of his house, which was very large and, of course, could accommodate a crowd of people. She told him no, she would not go up onto the veranda. That she would go into a rented pandal if he provided one, but not into his house or veranda, or to any house or veranda of Grahastas. What really struck me was how could a person deliberately take up a way of life that would bar Mataji from any part of their life. It was obvious to me that her behavior was related to something far more significant than a mere building. The objectionable thing that was what it represented, it was the thought form, we might say, that repelled her. In actuality, it was not that mother refused to enter but that the very nature of the structure closed her out. Physically, Mother could enter the house, but spiritually, she could not enter into the way of life conducted there. In English, the Sanskrit term for married persons, grahasta, is usually translated householder. What an image that always evokes for me. Whenever I hear it, I mentally see an adult clutching a little toy house and pressing it to himself in frantic fear of losing it, like a child infatuated with a toy. Poor man, he does not realize that though he may possess it, he cannot really live in it. There were married devotees who, when they were building a house for themselves, would ask mother to come and stay in their newly built house before they moved in themselves, and that she would agree to. And often, their room, the room in which she stayed would become their worship room. But this even more dramatically demonstrated that by their way of life, they were turning mother from their door, an act that could only be regarded as spiritually insane at least as far as I was concerned. Monaji was agreeing to stay in their new houses to get the message across to those who would heed. 
But you know, only one I know of did. Dr. Ghosh, whom I counted as a friend of mine, was a devotee of mother in Ranchi. Through pressure from his family, he agreed to be married, and they made the arrangements, including the choice of the bride, as is traditional. At the juncture of two main streets not far from his office, he built a real mansion for himself and his bride. Naturally, he invited Madaji to come spend a week in the house prior to the marriage. But he told me that before the week was out, he came to the realization of what he really was doing. After a token hospitality to mother, he was then going to ban her from his house forever. Then what about his life? Would that too be closed to her? Or at least not fully open to her? Hastening to mother, Dr. Ghosh begged her to accept the house as hers. When she asked if he would build another one for himself, he told her that he would never build or live in a house where she could not come. But how could this be then, Mother wanted to know, since after his marriage, she would not come into any house in which he lived. That was just it, he told her. He would never marry, so that wherever he might be, Mataji could also enter there. And so it was. His house became the Anandamaya Ashra of Ranchi, and the home of Goddess Kali. There is a footnote to this story that is not insignificant. Wherever Mother stayed in the various Anandamai ashrams, those rooms were kept exclusively for her. They would always be locked in her absence. No bed or chair upon which she had sat or lain was ever used by another. Yet at Mother's order, whenever Dr. Ghosh came to an ashram, he stayed in her room and slept on her bed. Having given his house to mother, all her houses became his. But now I want to talk about the positive aspects of monastic life. Not criticize non-monastic life, though of course the contrast will be made. Again, Sri Sarada Devi said, whether one calls on God or not, one is already half free if one does not marry. And one will rush ahead with great speed once one's mind turns to God. This reminds me of a story I heard as a child about the power of punctuation. A woman traveling in Europe came across some jewelry that she wanted very much. So she wired her husband back in America, describing it and stating the price. From America, he wrote back, no, period. Price too high. But the telegraph people at the other side ignored the punctuation and relayed the message as, no price too high. So she bought the jewelry. There can be no ceiling on what we will pray, sacrifice, pay, or give in our search for God. Throughout the years, I have seen in the lives of many non-monastics at least the implied message to God, no, price too high. 
So it has always been a relief to live and associate with monastics who say to God, no price too high. I have already quoted Jesus speaking of the children of this world who marry. And he continued regarding the higher worlds of evolution and the spiritual awakening that can be attained there. But they which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Neither can they die any more, for they are equal unto the angels and are the children of God, being the children of the resurrection. Equal unto the angels. Christ the Master had so taught, and both he and his mother had been living examples. Real spiritual life, the attempt to pass from humanity to divinity, is no joke, but a true struggle, in fact, a war. And St. Paul had written, No man that wars entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. Spiritual life is a matter of love for God. And the apostle had also written, he that is unmarried cares for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married cares for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. There is a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she that is married cares for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, and that you may attend upon the Lord without distraction. So wrote St. Paul. Frankly, these verses frightened me every time I read them making me ask myself if I would dare to risk placing my priorities in life upon another human being rather than on God. For St. Paul also said, They that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit the things of the spirit. For to be physically minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the physical mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone has not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. How could this be? Our Lord himself indicated the way when he said, For there are some eunuchs which were so born from their mother's womb, and there are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs by men. And there be eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. 
Now, it did not escape me that Jesus said that this is to be received by those who are able, not just by those who are interested or willing. And I had a pretty good idea that it was God who would decide who was able or not. The familiar egoic refrain, I am not yet ready, carrying no weight whatsoever in the matter when the great summation came at the end of life. Therefore, St. Paul says, Nevertheless, he that stands steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but has power over his own will, and has so decreed in his heart that he will keep his virginity, does well. Actually, he does more than just well, for such resolve is a perfect act of love. For can love do anything less than give itself totally, body, mind, and soul, to the search for the divine beloved? Solomon the wise had written in his wonderful book, The Song of Songs, sometimes called The Song of Solomon, these words, I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but I found him not. I will rise now and go about the city in the streets, and in the broad ways I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but I found him not. The watchmen that go about the city found me, to whom I said, Saw you him whom my soul loves? It was but a little that I passed from them, and I found him whom my soul loves. I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her that conceived me, for my beloved is mine and I am his. Those who watch in the city, that is, those who seek their life and fulfillment in the world, cannot see the lover of the soul. But those who separate themselves from the watchman and their futile vigil will indeed find him waiting, waiting to become theirs as fully as they made themselves his. Within my own soul sounded the call of the blessed apostle. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Reasonable service. Reasonable and necessary to accomplish the transmutation further set forth in the challenge and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. The word translated transformed is really metamorphosis, which means literally to pass from one form into another that is, from human to God. This is the path that all must take, but some walk and some run, according to how much they value the heavenly prize. For St. Paul and those who caught his vision and fervor, it was a race, not a leisurely stroll that gave opportunity for distraction and deflection. No, indeed. For as the Apostle said, Know you not that they which run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain. 
And to do so, he said, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. What is the sin? The falling short, for that is what amartya means, that so easily besets us. The ego and its corollary, a life lived according to personal desires. Even religion, when taken up at the interest and to the benefit of the ego, becomes nothing more than a hollow show, a personal ornament of piety that will ultimately serve to darken the soul rather than enlighten it. Like simple Simon, the ego simply does not have what it takes to obtain the prize. Therefore, it dawdles along the way, enjoying distractions and exploring intriguing byways, congratulating itself on its moderation and sensibility, plenty of time for spiritual life later. But when the call comes for the awakened soul, it is a different matter altogether. As Sister Madaleva, the American nun, wrote at the close of one of her poems, I have no time to wait, for, oh, it is to God, to God I go. And the great trap into which the spiritual aspirant can fall, often to his death, is a life lived according to selfish desire and personal whim, however camouflaged those egoic motives may be.